Paper Cuts. This episode was recorded live in Richmond at the Current Book Art Book Fair. Current Books happened on March 31st, 2018 at Studio 23 in Richmond. Studio 23 is a uh, community print shop filled with artist studios and uh, various equipment and facilities. During the fair, I had the opportunity to talk with one, Athena Naylor, an auto autobiographical cartoonist and illustrator currently based in DC, Two, Allison Bates, who publishes the zine on Flora and co-founded both the DC Art Book Fair and the Free Feminist Library. Three, Lucy Kirkman Allen, a painter and curator living in Bavon, Virginia, who is the co-founder of Airprint Press. And four, Orvaki Crosby, who founded the Concern Newsstand in Chapel Hill and Raleigh, North Carolina. All four had tables at Current Books and took time out of the busy fair day to hang out with me in our makeshift recording studio uh, above Studio 23, actually overlooking the rest of the fair activities. Um, I remember this weekend being really fun and also really busy, and you can hear my voice just start to gradually erode during the course of these interviews. Athena Naylor, and you are listening to Paper Cuts. Do we need to sign out, or are we just gonna fucking go? <laughs> We're just gonna fucking go. Okay. All right. So, Athena. Yes, hello. You make comics, and we're in Richmond, and the last time you were in Richmond, you made a comic about being in Richmond. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> Can you tell us a little bit about that, that comic, that story? Uh, sure. I mean... It's kind of representative, I guess, of a lot of my work. I showed it to one of my friends, and <laughs> she described it as simultaneously wholesome and hollow. And I was like, <laughs> you know what? I actually kind of love that, because it is this just very mundane experience. Not a lot really happens in the comic, but I'm just kind of interested in how the comics form manages to take something so, like, every day and somehow transform it into, like, I don't know. I was going to say a manifestation of memory, but that is pretentious AF. <laughs> so, I don't know. It just kind of transforms the experience into something else. And um, at least I, I hope something entertaining. So, literally, the comic is about me and my friend Andrew. And we went for a walk down Main Street. That was our only, the only place in Richmond we saw. And we just happened to have kind of like a series of interesting coincidences happen along that trip. So I thought it would make a good comic. Yeah. We've also been using comics to explore memory in almost like a daily, not almost daily, but you've been recording your experiences through that, through that form. Um, can you talk a little bit more about comics and, and memory, like how that actually functions for you? Yeah, I mean, I guess it is like a diary, and a diary is like an archive, and it just, it helps... It helps me remember like small things I probably would forget if I hadn't recorded them. And I've been doing autobio comics for like years now, and I didn't used to do them at all. I think 
it's almost a cliche, but like when you hit your 20s, you suddenly you're like become like so self-involved that you're like, I don't understand myself, and it's like a way of working through your experiences. Um, so like a lot of the time when I'm making those diary comics, I'm not thinking so much about memory that like comes after the product is completed. Yeah. It's more just kind of like, I don't know meditating on the experience again that like kind of mundane thing like what can I glean from this even though nothing like spectacular happened I still had an emotional reaction and how can I communicate that through comics I'm, I'm also curious about about place in comics and I'm more familiar with the comics you've been producing in DC which is where I met you um, so do you see them at, at all as a way to, ex to explore and document the city that you've been living in and also were you making autobiographical or memoir comics before you moved to DC? Uh, yes, I definitely was before I moved to DC. Um, like near the end of my undergrad career, I started doing them based on like these self-portraits I had been doing in my art classes. Um, I think they're becoming a little bit more about place as I continue doing them. Um, Cause I think that's starting to interest me more. Like originally being from the Midwest, it is very different living in the city and now that I'm out of grad school and can actually explore the city a little bit more, I think it would be interesting to document kind of how our experience is shaped by place, yeah. especially someplace like as kind of <laughs> historically heavy <laughs> as DC. <laughs> yeah. And I guess because I'm also new to the area, like seeing, seeing you document your life in DC has been really interesting for me just on that level it's like getting to know the city through also getting to know you and your comics um since you're producing these comics like after the fact as a way to kind of explore the emotion or whatever mundane element is that you're, you're toying with do you catch yourself like writing your comics in the moment at all like when you're in richmond walking down the street uh, with your friend, are you also like, oh, well, this is how I could display this in the page, or does that really all come afterwards? Um, I mean, definitely when something is happening, you're like, that would make a good comic, and then like afterwards, you have to map it out. Um, I wouldn't say that like I'm sitting there talking to someone, like formatting a page in my mind, but like, yeah, when I hear, it's usually when someone like shares a very weird detail about their life. I was like, oh god, I just like I have to take that and make it into something. So, in that sense, yes. Um, yeah. And you have a, more at your table than in your autobiographical comics. You also have the Joan of Arc comic. And what, what is that about? Those are, it's a, it's technically like a new collection, in that, but I'm compiling old work. Um, that was started like in 2009, which is now a very long time ago. But... It was actually one of my first comic projects when I first started getting into comics. Um, it was based off of this inside joke I had with a friend. We, for class, were reading St. Uh, Joan by George Bernard Shaw. And gender studies unit, in our reading group, I was tasked with like finding anything that had to deal with Joan of Arc's sexuality in that play, which just uh, spiraled out of control into these inside jokes about like Joan of Arc and the French Captain Dunois in that play. We turned it into like kind of an absurd screwball comedy in our own minds and I started drawing it out with like these really kind of caricatured characters like based off of the descriptions in the play. Like the 
play says like oh Joan has like round features and far set eyes and I was like okay so her, her head is a circle and her eyes are on the side of her head like you know I just took it to the extreme um, yeah I mean and I feel like those fiction comics were really kind of born of that close collaboration I felt with friends at the time. Like, I haven't produced much Jones since then because I haven't been in contact with that friend, which I find interesting. And maybe that's why I turned to Autobio because it's like a collaboration with myself. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's kind of what Joan is all about. Can you talk a little bit more about your writing process? The idea of collaborating with yourself is one thing or like working with someone else and you're, you are collaborating right now yes. as well. Um, so what is like the difference for you between between collaborating and just producing all the work uh, wholly by yourself? That's a good question. Um, well, I feel in terms of Joan, I feel like that work was made better through collaboration. Like my friend would make like the best jokes and it's just like, um, yeah, it was it was one of those comics that was more born out of like play than any like real deep meaning. Whereas I feel like collaborating with myself, that's more like me trying to mine my own experience for some kind of, I, I don't know if meaning's really the word. I don't know if there really is meaning to anything. We were just talking about comics as therapy earlier. Yes, it's true. I mean, yeah, autobiocomics are interesting in that since I have to draw myself as a character, I find it's actually really much easier to be sympathetic towards myself in these situations that have happened. Like yeah. if I have felt mortified in the moment, if I draw it out, I'm like, actually, it's pretty comedic when I think about it this way. Like, I don't mind as much. Um, I mean, the collaboration I'm doing right now is actually with my friend Andrew, who is featured in the Richmond comic. And he's a really good writer, and I'm really excited to do the story with him. And I feel like just talking with him, we come from very different storytelling places. Like I'm always trying to think of kind of a good joke to insert and he's kind of more the emotional heart of like he's like talking about like how we talk about like time and like how that affects you know how we feel about things and stuff and I think hopefully I'll be able to <laughs> make that materialize on the comics page I'm still kind of struggling right now but I'm confident that hopefully by November that that fictional comic will come out yeah um so uh, you also have a, his a history in art history. Like that's your background. Yeah. Um, how does that fit into your comics production or your comics world? Good question. I feel like so far, um, one of the things I actually brought today to the fair is this thing that is probably the most closely related to my art history background and that it's, again, one of those collaborative pieces almost in that... Um, my friend who was in grad school with me, Ariana, she studied Persian art, and in particular the Shahnameh or the Persian Book of Kings. Mm -hmm. And we spent like so many hours in grad school poring over the illustrations in a particular copy of that book, Shah Tamast the first Shahnameh. Um, and I remember I just like texted her late one night, like a week ago, and was like, hey, what if I made just like a zine? made out of illustrations from that book and you know she's one of those friends that would just text you back with like all caps like do it so I did it and I don't know I felt like that was fun because it was like taking images with like such a deep history turning them into something else and still like kind of honoring the history it's one of those magic books so on the inside it kind of has 
essentially like a casual art historical essay. <laughs> like, this is what's happening here, whereas the actual content of the book is much more almost autobiographical, and then it's trying to like take those illustrations and apply them to everyday life yeah. and everyday kind of feelings. So, but in my other work, I'm the only real connection, I suppose, is like. There isn't really much research involved, but like taking experiences or like ideas and composing them into something, I feel like that and art history are actually exceptionally similar. It's like the reason I enjoyed writing art historical papers was like, I read something, I experienced something, now I get to decide how I want to communicate it. So. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, so these are, are I'd like to actually wrap up my end of the question asking, uh, but if does anyone here in the room have a question for Athena? Yeah. yeah. Um, so my question is, it sounds like you use a lot of humor in your work, but what do you find funny? I tend to find awkward oh, wait, situations. Oh no. One second, pause. Um, so whenever you grab the phone, you actually turn the recorder off. So, sorry, we're, we're back on. Okay. Okay. Um, my question is, it sounds like you use a lot of humor in your work. What do you find funny? Uh, okay, I guess generally I love awkward moments in life. Just anything that makes anybody feel uncomfortable um, is good. Unexpected things. Uh, it's difficult to like explain humor <laughs> like it's just like something happens and it makes me laugh um yeah or if someone just non sequiturs unexpected hand movements will make me laugh i i can't well, there's a lot of physicality in the comics that you've been yeah. producing your your the way that you capture the gesture like that translates mm -hmm. immediately so i can totally see part of your sense of humor coming from like the physicality of the characters that you're working with yeah, that's, yeah. I guess characters just make me laugh. I mean, as in any kind of sitcom or, like, comedy movie or series we watch, you look for, like, kind of those extreme characters who have a very distinct style to their personality. Yeah. So, kind of, like, yeah. That was not even a, an answer to that question. I don't think I can explain what I find funny. I just know it when I see it. So, Athena, where can our listeners uh, pick up some of your work or follow you on various social media platforms? Yeah, I mean, obviously you can pick up work here if you happen to be here. Nobody's going to do that because this is going to air after. Everyone in this room is going to do Google <laughs> and going to buy his game. Immediately. Oh, yeah. um, but otherwise, you can see my work on Instagram at athena.nailer on Instagram and also um, on Tumblr. I, that doesn't update as often as the Instagram. I suggest Instagram, but there are some of my older works on the Tumblr, which is just all one word, Athena Nailer. Yep. Well, thanks for talking with us. Thank you. I'm Allison Bates. You're listening to Paper Cuts at Current Book Fair. Allison is my favorite guest today because she brought me beer. Yay! <laughs> <laughs>
Am I your only guest today? There's four. Oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> did you talk to Athena? Yeah, we just did. I win, I win. I always win. So Allison, what are all the things that you're doing? You're involved in like four projects. What am I not doing? Like right now? Like today? All the, uh, the all the projects that you've got. All the there's, products? There's four. There's St. Lydia. Yes. Which is my publishing nomenclature. The DCR Book Fair. Mm-hmm. The Greek Feminist Library. Yes. And on Flora. Yes. Am I forgetting anything? Well, on Flora is like under the St. Lydia um, oh. umbrella. Unfortunately, a lot of that's up in the air because I will be going to school soon. Where are you going to school at? Simmons College in Massachusetts. For what? Library science and children's literature. So why do you like books? <laughs> oh, man, why don't I like books? They're the best. They're like something that you can hold and it's like information and someone puts so much time and effort into this thing and like you can hold it. It's like someone's thoughts in your hands. That's and <laughs> one of the things I really love about what you've been doing is that you're trying it, you're, you've produced several ways to get books to people and to really yeah. craft <laughs> environments around the, the really? book form. <laughs> yeah, between the, the library and the DCR book fair. Uh -huh. Those are two really big things. Yeah. And okay. it, it seems like I, it, I it has it. A, a quite a, a local <laughs> impact. Can you tell us a little bit about the DCR book fair? Okay, I'm very proud of that. Um, so Elizabeth Graber, Ellie Johnson, and Malika Garib were all getting together because they wanted to do an art book fair in DC. And I heard about it and I was like, excuse me, why am I not involved? So I butted in and basically stole it from them. <laughs> Someone had to it was, the first year was not me, um, but I definitely butted in and I was like, I should be a part of this. How dare you? Um, but basically it is somewhere in between like the New York Art Book Fair and then like DC Zine Fest for folks who are making stuff by themselves that didn't feel quite right and just like a straight up zine fest or straight up art fair something in between um yeah and it's been really fun rewarding really stressful but it's really cool to hear from artists and our like publishing outfits that say that that was like their first their first uh tabling experience such as 1009 yeah that was really i had no idea that 1009 had started had been forced to organize more so because of that yeah, you and the DCR Book Fair is the reason that. Because of me. Yeah, it's because of you that. that you guys have careers. <laughs> <laughs> the George Mason for making students form together. Me. <laughs> I'm going to keep a, a bronze like bust of you. Thank you. On my desk. You should do that anyway, but. <laughs> so with the DCR Book Fair, I'd, I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about how you curated that event or chose people to be part of the tables because whenever we were talking the first year you all came across as very aware of the feel that you wanted to have for the fair mm -hmm. and giving space for people who had not tabled before and also crafting something that would be really different from other like art book or zine fairs that you had been part of that all the organizers didn't necessarily feel uh, like they had a home at. Mm -hmm. I think it was like somehow through our marketing language or something that people just kind of understood that that was the right vibe like we it was like the luckiest accident that like all the right people applied 
there was not there's like not a ton of folks that just didn't make sense it's like it was really easy <laughs> to choose yeah, yeah. <laughs> i think people just like get it somehow i don't know how and uh, can you talk a little bit about locations? Because the DC Art Book Fair had moved between the first and the second year. Mm -hmm. um, so the first year was at a warehouse. I already forgot the name. It's now 1970? 1270. 1270, yeah. my favorite year. Um, it's now West Elm or some shit. I don't know. So we couldn't have it there because yeah. now it's a bougie furniture store. Um, and through Elizabeth's, um, she knew the librarian at the... Uh, um, Museum of Women in the Arts and we thought hey why don't we try how funny we like emailed the Smithsonian and like other crazy shit yeah. she was like oh yeah you guys can totally have it here so somehow we had our scrappy book fair in like this opulent venue with a mezzanine yeah the building is beautiful yeah had you been uh, volunteering at the museum before that fair no I hadn't so what do you do at the museum as a volunteer <laughs> I volunteer at the Library Research Center, and I've been learning how to catalog vertical artist files. And you had already created the Free Feminist Library before you started uh, working at the library. Yes. Our first event was actually at the second DC Art Book Fair. And has working at the library influenced how you're organizing the Free Feminist Library? It's influenced like everything. It's just really gr a great space to be there. Um, yeah, I would say it's like, giving me ideas, making me feel like I understand a little bit more about how a library might work. And how does the Free Feminist <laughs> Library work? Um, we'll start, <laughs> we're, <laughs> we're still figuring this out because um, we're two women with very busy lives, you know. Um, we're still figuring it out, but we have done like pop-up events, which you've been a, in attendance for both, thank you. Um, some more official than others. Um, we're focused mo mainly on getting our books out there right now, which we've all gotten from thrift stores and um, mostly just me and Katerina just buying out of our pockets. <laughs> and Katerina being your collaborator? Yes, Katerina Ka <laughs> Haradatu. I don't think I said that right, but I'm not Greek, so I can't help it. Um, did I say it right? You did all right. How, did you, how would you say it? Um, she's wonderful, um, but she's also very busy. She has a very high-powered government job, so it's tough. Um, but yeah, we're focused mainly on getting our books to folks right now, but we want to move into publishing and like events and author talks, like um, lectures, skill shares, that kind of thing. Will the library continue when you go to school? <sighs> I sure hope so. I think so. I can do stuff virtually, like writing and editing and stuff like that. So yeah. I think so. And what are kind of the, the events that you want to have with the library? Oh my gosh, what don't I want to have? My dream is to have like a, okay, so actually I'm obsessed with this new idea. It's like, um, actually I don't think I made it up, but it's like, um, it's not, it's like a, a series of small lectures of people who are just enthusiasts about something and not necessarily an expert. So yeah. like say I'm really excited about like the way that a Coke, can has changed or coke bottle has changed throughout the years like i've done a little bit of wikipedia -ing and now i feel qualified to tell you so but like trying to encourage women to not feel like they have to be an expert on something you know with some certificate or whatever it's like just sharing their enthusiasm and um taking on the position of authority on something they're interested in 
So like a mini lecture series with people just like sharing what they know and like that's my dream. That sounds great. I don't think it's too hard to accomplish. Just just take some emailing. <laughs> but and yet <laughs> here I am not doing it. Well, you're, you're, you're rather busy as well. Can you tell us a little bit more about On Flora? Is that your first zine? Um, so I started with Runcible Spoon with Malika. Okay. That was another instance where I was like, excuse me, why are you doing something cool without me? <laughs> and I forced myself on the staff. That's how I get everything done, apparently. No one thinks to inform me. <laughs> um, yeah, so we had went to journalism school together and we worked on a um, campus magazine called 20 Watts, which is the power that our radio station had. So you could literally not listen to it unless you were like in the same building. <laughs> um, so we worked on a magazine then together and then we were still friends because she moved to DC and I made her let me do that with her. And then eventually I just said, hey, I'm gonna do my own. So I did my first on floor in 2013. And when did you do the second one? 2015. And the third one was in 2017. The fourth one will be in 2019, probably. So where did the name St. Lydia come from? <laughs> it's from Beetlejuice. <laughs> did everyone know that? Did you guys know that? <laughs> Beetlejuice is one of my favorite movies. And I just feel a total kinship with um, Lydia Dietz, played by Winona Ryder, who is my queen. Because um, she's like goth, but like really sweet. And like, that's me. <laughs> I don't know, it just made sense, and I just wanted, I wanted something that wasn't my name, and um, I really liked that name, and I liked Saint, just sounded yeah. official or something. I like, like, religious iconography, too, so that kind of worked together. Right. So that's the questions that I have for you, but I did want to open up to the audience. We have one <laughs> hand raised. <laughs> Okay, so one of the first questions that Christopher asked you was, why do you like books? Mm -hmm. So in the same vein, why do you like plants? Oh, that's a good question. I don't know. They just like speak to me, you know? I don't know. They're just like everywhere. It's like they're a part of our lives. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I don't know. For some reason, like around the time I started doing on floor, I just like got really into flowers. I think flowers were really hip on Instagram and stuff. You know, like everyone was becoming a florist, and I was like, I love flowers, but I didn't want to do it in like a trendy way. But now I'm just obsessed with them. I don't know, especially fake flowers. I don't know why. Why, why the fake flowers? They don't really contribute anything except appearance. I think it's so <laughs> interesting the way that people like can. You can just go to a shop and buy like these weird fake flowers that like someone had to make to look like a real thing. And you can have that in your life. And I'm just obsessed with the way that like a fake flower looks compared to a real one and like why this is a thing. <laughs> like it's just so crazy. And like just the different like combinations that are available. I don't know, it's just fascinating. This fakeness. Yeah, this artifice. Thank you. Say it better than I can. Nothing said. authentic. That's, that's me. Allison, <laughs> nothing authentic, Bates. That's me. Well, Allison, thanks for talking with me. Thank you, Christopher. Before I let you go, Pleasure as always. how can people <laughs> work with you in the Free Feminist Library and wow. the DCR Book Fair? Please email me immediately. I love emails. AllisonMBates at gmail.com. Thanks, Allison. Thank you. I use some of these. It's
Answers have tiny hands. I don't know why. We pause for station identification. <laughs> this is Lucy Kirkman Allen at Current Books on Paper Cuts. Thank you, Lucy. <laughs> so, Lucy, where are you visiting Richmond from? Uh, I live in Matthews County, Virginia, with my husband Justin Allen, who works on my projects together. And where is Matthews County? We're about an hour and a half east of here, uh, at the tip of Virginia's Middle Peninsula. So it's a pretty rural place, pretty special place. Yeah. And what's the project that you two work on together? So our umbrella project is called the Air Plant Project, and that's basically an investigation of how you can grow and sustain contemporary art outside of urban centers. Uh, we lived in cities for a long time, but uh, moved out to the sticks and love it and don't want to leave. But uh, we miss having the, the conversations and all of the stimulation of in the city, seeing art, seeing museums. So uh, it's, I guess, a question of how do you, how do you maintain a, a practice? How do you grow it in the, in the rural environment? So um, Airplant Project is that big question. Airprint Press is a wing of that that we started to produce and distribute books. Um, we had made exhibition catalogs for a gallery in Dallas, Studio DTFU, but um, the upfront cost of printing books was a pain. So for Airprint Press, the idea is to minimize the overhead by releasing the books online and encouraging people to print their own copies. That's great. So was the like, city center that you're more familiar with, or were formerly familiar with, was that Dallas before moving into, uh, out into the middle of Virginia? Uh, Dallas, most recently, we were there for three years. Uh, I also spent a year in Paris, and my husband and I met at school in New York. We were there for four years. Okay. So, to to get into your set of questions, how do you sustain your art practice uh, outside of the city center? Well, I have a lot of pen pals. That really helps. Yeah. So, uh, keeping in touch by letters, postcards um, is my favorite way to do it. Um, and we've been inviting artists to come see us, or at least come send us their work, and trying to do a, a number of exhibition series out there. So one of the first projects we did is uh, called the Serendipity Williams House series, and that's set in our studio, which is a, an old farmhouse in Onimo, Virginia. Um, and so we invited various artists, that friends of ours, or artists that we know and admire to either come out and see us and hang a project, or at least send us some work that we could hang there. And uh, so it's really kind of a question of the tree in the forest. Like if you yeah. hang a show and nobody sees it, you know, is it a show even? What happens? So <laughs> we, uh, the, those exhibitions were conceived of to basically exist in book form. So we documented the exhibitions and created this first series of books to be released through Airprint. So I really love the approach of having two spaces for a show, like the actual physical studio space or gallery space, but then also the book as um, the way that you're describing it, almost as like the primary space where the show will be living in. And with the uh, catalog format, it's, it's usually like reversed. Like the catalog is secondary, even though that is the one that will travel the longest and furthest. Mm -hmm. um, so what interested you about the book form as a, as a space? Oh. Well, I guess I like that it's, um, it's kind of time-based. 
and that you can sort of flip through it. I guess being in space is time-based too, but yeah. I've always loved books and reading and libraries and things like that. So um, I'm especially partial to books. Um, and also it's just kind of interesting to explore the, the catalog as more than document, as, a, as an object in itself. And considering the book as the final home for some of the shows you've been exhibiting, how does that shift the way that you're approaching the actual installation? Well, it makes it feel like kind of a very special secret in a way. Yeah. Um, like being the only person or only three people who got to see these shows um, in, in the flesh, so to speak. Um, I mean, we didn't approach hanging them differently. We didn't hang them to be photographed. We hanged them you know, based on the experience of the space and how things look in the space. Um, yeah. I guess for us, uh, curating a show is very spatial. Um, that's something that I like about it compared to, to painting where you're, you're looking at arranging objects in a flat composition. In, um, in arranging a show, you're, it's like other people's work is my material and I get to place it in a space. And Justin is really good at uh, sort of finding like different different viewing points and thinking about how that changes your whole experience of a room. Yeah. I, I, I love the way that you're describing that and I'm really interested in this idea of like the, the book form as almost a simultaneous compression and expansion of information. Like you're compressing the, the composition of, the, of that space onto the page but through the multiplicity of the pages and that time-based experience of the book you're also able to present a multifaceted view of what that area is or what the, the space is. Which is not really a, a question. I'm just like r rambling now, but so you can react to any of that, or um, if you'd like to tell me a little bit about how you're considering the audience, since you're setting up these spaces for an audience of like three or four people, um, but the books have a much wider audience. Mm. Well, I would like to say that I like something that um, one of our contributors, uh, Michael Corus, wrote an essay for about the project for one of our books and. Um, he was talking about, when, when you said about the condensing of space, and he was talking about like the condensing of authorship, that like if you have a, a show with multiple people, that it almost doesn't matter who, who made the work or like where does the work end and the installation image begin. And that was a, an interesting idea for us to engage in. Um, when it comes to the audience, I guess we, we want to start and continue conversations. Um, that's sort of what the whole point is, this way of us talking and thinking and reaching out to other people and going back and forth with, initially with artists that we you know, know already, inviting them to contribute something. But we do hope to reach more people and, uh, I don't know, make new friends, hear yeah. feedback, uh, maybe <coughs> start some conversations. We also are just big fans of artist-run spaces in general. so. I love seeing um, other artists run spaces and seeing how people approach the same idea or, you know, like showing people that it, you know, like you really don't need that much to start a gallery. All you have to do is want to do it. Yeah. Can you talk a little about uh, the format of your books? Because it seems like on your table you have two series of books, um, each with really specific formats to that series. Mm. Well, the one I spoke about earlier, the Serendipity Williams House series, uh, I guess the design was inspired by this like spooky new age zine that we found in an attic of an old house. <laughs> um, it was called Unseen Kingdoms, and it was uh, what I liked about it was that it was like totally straightforward. There was no 
like no fancy book design stuff. Which I mean, I enjoy book design. I like I like designing books, but yeah. it was like like there was no I don't know. There weren't even page numbers. You know, there were not like elaborate margins or anything. It was just like a bunch of text and pictures kind of like crammed together and I guess made on a photocopier or something. And uh, we really liked the aesthetic of it, the feel of it. So we found that inspiring for the design of it. Um, the the catalogs themselves are, uh, most of them have a little bit of text contributed by the uh, either the artist or somebody that was paired with them. And then there's uh, installation pictures from the from the show, and that's it. It's pretty yeah. pretty simple. the The other series of catalogs we're showing are a little bit different. Um, the FFF Hex series, and so after doing the the shows in our studio, we we're, which is like, it's really not accessible. It's also like maybe kind of dangerous. We <coughs> didn't want to invite people there because we're worried that somebody could. I don't know, put their foot through a hole in the porch and sue us or something like that. Mm-hmm. So um, Justin really wanted to have a space where we could actually engage with the public or try to. And so we rented an office space in Matthew's Courthouse, which is the, the small town of, I guess, 2,000 people, um, mm-hmm. the, the, the city center where we live. And so <laughs> we rented this office space and you know, painted the walls white, and it's it's just like a small, literally a small white cube, um, about maybe 13 or 14 feet square, you know, each way, yeah. and um, and so it's it's a totally different look to show, and it, I guess was how was it received? You know, not that well. <laughs> um, <laughs> some people, some people really were really into it. A lot of people were just kind of mystified, and like. Like, why? This is gonna look good when you when you finish putting art on the walls. You know, the idea of like a, a sparse exhibition is kind of foreign. There um, yeah. is there's a lot of artists in Matthews, but it's a, a whole different conversation and not a lot of talk about contemporary art. Um, and uh, you know, but also just like a lot of people didn't pay that much attention to it. So <laughs> we ran that space for a year and did uh, seven exhibitions and a few special events there. And so the the catalogs out of that are more straightforward catalogs documenting the shows that happened there. So how are you distributing the books? Well, we uh, we have our website, which is airplantproject.org, and then the slash airprint for this wing of it. And so you can read all of the books online. There's PDF files. Oh, great. Um, yeah, so we definitely encourage people to go check them out. And then um, if you're feeling motivated, we welcome you to print your own copy. Um, so there's the print files there that if you have a printer, you can you can just print it at home or at the office or wherever you are. Or if, um, if you don't have access to a printer yourself, you can download the files and take them to a Kinko's or something, and they'll yeah. be able to make it for you. Um, and so that the I guess trying to trying to reach more people with that. I guess also if you like found a copy of our books and you wanted to like make a photocopy of it, that would be cool too. We're we're all right with that. Yeah. Um, I really love that that part of your project, and I did notice you had a something a blurb about that too in the back of the books, right? That's right. Kind yeah. of a, a copyright statement that um, I mean the books are like you know the art is copyright the artist the books themselves are a complete thing but there's a like a, a limited license basically that you have the right to copy and distribute this you can't sell it uh, at least not without checking in with us first yeah yeah um, 
and we ask people not to not to modify the books you know don't use it as a derivative like you know you know cut it up and make a new zine out of it like we we don't ask you not to do that but <laughs> but if you want to just uh, distribute it in full or you know make your own copy in full that's what we're talking about cool thanks so um, I think that's all the questions that I have for you, but I did want to open it up to the audience, our wonderful studio audience here, to see if anyone had a, a question for us. I see some elbows, some people nudging. Not a question, but a comment. Sure, sure. <coughs> so my comment is, I think it's cool that you uh, open up the material for others to download and print out, because that gets it more exposure. Um, so that's what I want to say. Yay! Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Again, that's, that's a really wonderful aspect of everything. Um, well, Lucy, thanks for coming in and talking with us. Well, thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, I'm really glad that we got to meet here at Kern. So. Concern Newsstand, and I'm from Chapel Hill, North Carolina. Vaki, thanks for joining us here on Paper Cuts. Thank you. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what the concern is? Yeah, so I started it um, last fall, um, kind of as a reaction to a lot of uh, independent and used bookstores closing down in the area. Um, and I had kind of time in my life to start a new project. So I saw a need in the community and I just went for it, kind of as an amateur almost. Although I do have a background in art and in wholesale and retail. So it kind of all comes together in this in a way. Um, so you hadn't so done like book selling before? I hadn't done book selling. I mean, I had, you know, ordered books for a retailer and worked with a wholesaler book seller before but um, so yeah I have some background in it but anyway uh, I started the web store first and kind of curated uh, first through my network of artists and uh, books that they were making and then I started ordering books wholesale and, and all that jazz and then um, I was doing events pop-ups in the triangle area and then um, this past February uh, or last month, I got a space at Lump Gallery, downtown Raleigh, um, and it's open during gallery hours, um, a little physical outpost. Yeah. So, um, when you started in Raleigh, uh, how many iterations of the pop-ups did you have prior to that? Uh, I probably did, I don't know, maybe less than 10, but yeah. Yeah. And for everyone listening at home, we were on a panel discussion last night, so I feel like we had a little bit of a conversation of things I wanted to ask you beforehand, but we were talking a little bit about the idea of like curating a bookstore for the location, mm -hmm. not necessarily based on what people like want to read, but more based on like what they need or what isn't really available. Yeah. Um, so I'm curious about how you've taken that approach, like what you are curating, and what you find that people are reacting the most to. Yeah. 
Well, yeah, partially also why I started it was I couldn't find certain magazines in the area, and I had to order them from New York. Um, so that was one priority, to kind of, like, sell weird uh, or unusual magazines that you can't find anywhere, in North Carolina even. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm selling some, you know, magazines from England, and then also a priority is to sell books by artists who are local to the area because um, there's really no venue for them. Um, artist books and zines by, by artists from North Carolina. Um, and then otherwise, yeah, I'm trying to focus on things that you can't get in the area and then just things that I like and want to see in the mix. Um, yeah. So what are some of the things that you like? Well, I'm really into these comics uh, by um, Kush Comics from Latvia. They have they do a really good job um, curating comic artists internationally into these comic anthologies, um, and they make mini zines that are really cool. And I've already like sold out of them here at the book fair. Oh, awesome. um, they're a good seller and. Um, and then what else? I also, you know, I love these magazines coming from England. I think they have a really better appreciation for print in England than they do in the U.S. Like in terms of, I'm not talking about small press necessarily, but more like um, more mass distribution magazines. They're yeah. better quality there, um, and they're weirder. So I really like those. Um, I mean, I like everything I sell. That's why I sell them. <laughs> Since you started the bookstore, um, has your brain kind of been more attuned to like seeking out books that you might not normally have come across? Like, do you have a, an extra like book spider sense or something? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of a new world for me, so it's exciting because it's not my background and. Yeah. Um, I am an amateur in it, so it's like I'm always discovering new things, and I'm really open to ideas from other people um, of what they think I should sell or what would fit well in the mix. So, yeah, I'm definitely more attuned to it, and um, it's a really fun project. I, I feel like in some of the conversations that we've had, like last night and even around the book for book fair today, um, I don't know how to really say it, but it's almost like an, the importance of amateurism, like being a group of people that publish books, not necessarily professionally, um, and zine fairs is a space where like the first books that you produce can be put out in uh, at equal footing with any other publisher that might be at the fair. Yeah. But then this idea of being an amateur bookseller and yeah. not really <laughs> like necessarily knowing everything that you're doing, right. but being able to make it up as you go. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I like kind of um, equalizing, like like some $2 zine by a local artist with, with like some fancy art book and selling it all together and like yeah. having them on my web store equally. You know, there's no hierarchy in my opinion. Yeah. It's like, it's all cool and it's it's all like, stuff that gives you inspiration and um, yeah I like that aspect kind of no elitism or 
for judgment, just, you know, carrying anything that's cool. Yeah. And in your practice as an artist, were you making books at all? Were you involved in artist books? Actually, yeah, I was um, at some point um, making these books. They were called Sew Books um, with an artist named Sasha Huber um, who lives in Helsinki. And it w- they were made out of recycled materials and bound uh, with a spiral binding. And um, we were selling them pretty well, but they were kind of laborious to make because yeah. the covers were sewn out of Tetra Pak folded inside out and um, you know just collecting the materials and putting them together took a long time so we kind of stopped just because we didn't have time but maybe we'll we'll do that again because it was a really cool project and um, do you see the concern now as an extension of your art practice or is it kind of a separate uh, entity I think it's related because in the art that I do, it, there's a lot of collage involved, and I work with like old maps yeah. and drawing. So it's kind of like I'm I'm curating things that inspire me and my art. Yeah. You know, so it's maybe that's a bit selfish, but um, but I think it, it inspires other people too because it's kind of you know the things I curate I think are like I said in the panel discussion I think kind of. Uh, they give inspiration or make you think in a more abstract way, maybe. Um, yeah. Uh, I imagine so, that would yeah, also it's all related. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine that would also lend a very specific voice to the concern. Like, yeah. One of the things that I always love, the, th- the things that gets me really excited about viewing other people's practices is also being able to see within that practice the things that they're really obsessed with and interested in, yeah. which is why a bookstore like this would be like wildly interesting for me yeah. like being able to walk into a space and kind of like see everything that you're into yeah yeah I mean I think that's a big part of curating is is just kind of showing the world what you're interested in and yeah. um, hopefully that interests other people too I'm not trying to like please everybody but um, yeah. Um, yeah I don't know I also sell like some vintage magazines and, and older uh, books and stuff that I don't have here at the book fair, uh, but I like all that too. So when you come to a book fair like, like this, um, is some part of you also uh, looking to, to buy books for the concern or are you even able to get out from behind the table at all? Yeah, definitely. I have my eye out, and I hope to make the rounds. Um, definitely, I'm looking to to get some new stuff in from here. <laughs> um, so, what? How can people purchase books from the Concern when they're not in Raleigh? I, I have a web store. It's um, theconcernnewsstand.com. <laughs> Oh, Rocky, that's all of the questions that I have, but I did want to see if our studio audience here had any questions. All right, we've got one. We've got two. Uh, my question stems off of the talk last night in terms of the question on um, how to make more readers. And I was um, wondering, you know, who, who are your buyers? Who are your readers? Um, is it the younger crowd? Um, is it the scholarly crowd? Is, um, is there... 
um, family crowd, so like who are the people that are coming to your store, and also um, that you notice, um, and also what are you doing? Are you creating um, uh, events where they can come to the store and hear someone read something, or like what are you doing to bring your, your readers and your buyers in? Those are good questions. Um, <clears throat> definitely since I've joined Lump Gallery, um, I mean, that already brings in people interested in art uh, into my store. So definitely my audience is, is that, you know, people interested in art. Um, and, you know, I'd like to kind of broaden my audience by going to different kinds of events and different kinds of venues. Because so far, honestly, it's like young people who go to bars and craft markets and, and galleries. Um, that's definitely a built-in audience. And I mean, I have the e-commerce side and, and more and more people are ordering who I don't know. So I don't really know what they represent, but people from California, New York, DC, um, maybe they see stuff on Instagram. Act, people active on social media are probably my audience. Um, and I do, I, we did a reading at Lump uh, a few weeks ago with artist Jesse Helcher, um, and that was really nice. I, I'd like to do more events like that. Um, and it was a good little turnout. And um, yeah, I think that would definitely encourage reading because, because of that, people bought his book. And he wrote a novel, so it's definitely like a, a book for readers. So my question has to do with your background yeah. and the two areas um, that you were involved in previously before becoming an amateur bookseller. <laughs> uh, and so there are people who will be listening who are interested in wondering, like, how did you make the leap from where you were to where you are now? Um, because I think it takes faith, you know? And sometimes, you know, we're scared or fearful to yeah. take that next step um, for our next, to turn our hobby into a career. Good question again. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I've kind of jumped around uh, in my careers, but, um, Definitely art has continued through, and then arts administration. Um, and then somehow I ended up working more in the fields of wholesale and retail, like for-profit for businesses. Um, and I think just the combination of those things got me to start this. And also I had a child, um, and I needed a new project after he turned like two. Um, I needed to like feed my soul with something, you know, like something for myself. Mm -hmm. So that's, that was a big part of it too. And yeah, just t taking the leap and just doing it. Maybe I was like, had that, that um, I was brave after having a kid, you know? Yeah, like I can do anything now. Yeah. So did you have like also a safety net? Did you have, you know, yeah. if it didn't work? Well, yeah, I mean, I, 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 um, I have another job, you know, I'm, I, I work freelance, and then uh, my family is a, a support system, so, yeah. 
right, well, Ravaki, thanks so much for coming in and talking with us. Yeah, thank yeah. you. Yeah, round of applause. <laughs> and that's our recording for Paper Cups. Thanks everyone for coming in. <laughs> thank you to our studio audience for asking great questions and hanging out. Thank you.